short, baptism is an outward sign of what has happened inwardly in their hearts. So it's an outward sign of what's happened here for them, for each of these three people. And the Bible makes it very clear that although he has intended for all time for people to live in close relationship with him, that each person has decided to reject that offer of relationship. They've decided to turn away from this God who wants to relate to us. And in this way, every person has kind of chosen to live for themselves and kind of relegate God to a kind of a ignoring, kind of rejecting place in your life. And it's kind of like we've exalted ourselves as king, you know, that we're the king of our lives and that God has got some other low position and no real place in our life at all. And God's word makes it very clear that when we do this, when we actually reject God, we say, no, we're not going to live for you, God. We're actually going to live for ourselves. That when we do this, this kind of separation happens between us and God. And no longer can we have relationship with him anymore. This rejection is, is like sin, or it is sin. That's our rejection of God. And because we do that as well, God says that because you reject me, you deserve punishment, you know. You deserve to have your sins dealt with. And so in order for us to kind of return to this relationship, we've got to somehow have our sins, our rejection of God dealt with. We've got to somehow have our sins or our rejection of God forgiven. And for those of, most of us would have heard about Jesus and it's God in his great love who sends Jesus to die upon the cross, his son into the world to live this perfect life and die on the cross. And what he's actually doing when he dies on the cross is he's dying for the world's punishment, the world's rejection of God. This is the punishment that he is dying for us in our place, if you like. But then, if you want to receive this punishment of yours, you've got to believe in Jesus. And whoever turns to Jesus and says, I believe that when you died on the cross, that was for me. I believe that I've wronged you. I've I've lived my own life without you and I deserve death, but I'm going to trust in your death on the cross. That that punishment was, was my punishment. And this is where forgiveness comes. Forgiveness through Jesus, Jesus' death on the cross. And if you believe in that, then you enter into eternity. You enter into this glorious relationship with God. Absolutely amazing for all eternity. So baptism is the outward sign that these three people tonight have done this. They've turned to Jesus and said, I need you. I need forgiveness. I need to have my punishment dealt with, my rejection of you dealt with. And they've entered into this perfect relationship with God for all eternity. They've had their sins forgiven. It's the outward sign. So tonight we're going to see each person go down under the water in this pond, pool, baptistry thing over here. They're going to go under the water, completely immersed. And it's like the images that they're dying to their old way of life. They're dying, they're going under the water, they're saying, they're surrendering completely to God, saying, you know, this life is over. And then when they come out of the water, and hopefully I'll get it right, I'll come out of the water. (laughs) I haven't done this before. (laughs) That's a true story. When they come out of the water, it's like they're rising. They're rising out of the waters to a new life. A life that's now lived for God. A life that's no longer lived for themselves, but to please God. It's like the old life is gone, the new has come. It's beautiful imagery. It's a beautiful symbolism of what's happened in here. And it's kind of also, there's a symbol of kind of washing and cleansing. And I smelt them before they came in, and that's good. We're going to wash them and cleanse them in that water. But more than that, this is demonstrating what's happened in here yet again. So these guys have once been, uh, had rejected God, you know, they've been, Uh, kind of sinful and not able to relate to God but then they've said yes to Jesus and Jesus' blood, Jesus' death purifies them washes them clean 
So here's another image. So when they come out of the water, they're being washed. And this is a sign of what's happened in their heart for them. And they're pretty much saying that they love Jesus, that they love Jesus. They're not ashamed of it, and they want to live for him for the rest of their lives. So there's a a little bit on baptism. There's lots to learn about baptism, more than what I've spoken about. But there's a a bit for you. I'm going to invite them forward now, um, one at a time, to, to share their story of how they met Jesus, how they've come to a relationship with God. So I'm going to ask um, Joel Keeble to come up, and you might want to just give him some encouraging applause. Woo! How's it going? Yes, all right. Um, well, um, yeah, I'm Joel Keeble, um, and this is my life. Um, at a very young age, I can recall um, sitting on the side of my bed, sitting um, next to my mum, declaring my love for Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Um, I went through these younger years with no shame in expressing my love for him. Um, I followed and lived in obedience to my Father in heaven. As I grew up, hit my teens, I started to really take um, a backward step in my faith. I didn't allow God to lead me. I continued to go to church. I prayed a little bit. He was in the back of my mind when making decisions, but he wasn't my sole foundation, my rock. I went through high school calling myself a Christian. Um, like when mates of mine asked me, I, I said that I believed in God, but I didn't express who he is and what he meant to me. I found myself becoming more and more ashamed um, with talking about anything to do with God. I held back. I tried to avoid these situations, and it hurt. Every time I backed down, it really hurt because I knew that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And I knew that these were opportunities to witness. Instead of stepping up to the call, instead of letting Christ shine through me to be a light unto the world, I just pushed it aside. I ignored what God was calling me to do. I didn't allow him to work in me. Because I wasn't allowing God to shine through me, I found myself really wanting to enjoy the world, live in the moment, going out with my mates, getting drunk and all that. And I I really enjoyed it. I had some of the best times. Um, You know, I experienced some many laughs. But all of that, though, never, ever went past that moment. Sure, it was fun, but those feelings were always overshadowed by a lack of peace in my life a lack of me allowing God, my Lord and Saviour, to lead me in my life. I knew that this isn't what I really longed for, what my heart really desired. All this changed about six months ago. Um, I was pushing God aside for too long. I really felt as if he was telling me that it's been long enough, that I can't have him second or third in my life anymore. I can't go on alone. It was time for me to let him lead my life. He started to bring people back into my life, renewing so many old relationships. They had such an amazing impact, which really helped me strive uh, for so much more. I was given a book to read, um, World at Heart. Um, I recommend this book to every male. Young or old, it gave me so much motivation to get up and move in faith. No longer just sit there and pray to God, waiting for something to happen without the willingness to move for him first. He's all shaking a bit far out. He has always got his hand there waiting, waiting to grab me, but I've got to take the first step and grab hold of what he's offering. I really started to surrender my whole life over to God not just the little bits that suited me. I really started to get a passion to be all I can be for the glory of God. I know that Jesus Christ loves me for who I was, who I am, and who I will be. But I'm no longer fire. (laughs) Um, But I no longer want to take that love for granted. I want to really show you my appreciation. I really want to say thank you so much for dying on the cross for me so that I can experience this everlasting relationship with my king. Um, 
I really want my love to sh- for Jesus Christ to shine through me in everyday life. Uh, my talent is God's gift to me. What I do with my gift, what I do with it, is my gift back to God. I'm standing here tonight publicly declaring not only my love for Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, but that I no longer want to lead a comfortable, on my terms, Christian life. I want to be challenged, unwilling and able, with the Holy Spirit empowering me. I've lost my space. (laughs) Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit empowering me to take steps as a follower of Christ. This is another crucial step for me because standing here in front of all of you, it's pretty scary. It's, not, it's totally out of my comfort zone. But I'm here in obedience to God. I surrender. I am here fully releasing everything that I have. I'm, I'm handling, handing all my battles over to my Father in heaven. I'm ready to be a light unto the world. That's it, thank you. Why don't you uh, give Bianca McMaster an encouragement too as she comes? I'm Bianca McMaster, and I'm really nervous. <laughs> um, what was my life like before I w- Where was like, yeah, yeah, I'll start again. My life and attitudes before following Christ. What was my life like? Where was it going? What did I live for before I, was, I chose to follow Christ? You know, I can't really remember the times without Christ, but to sum it all up, I know there were times there, and they weren't that great. Um, how I realised my need. How did I realise I was sinking, flailing hopelessly, drowning? Or how else? You face something pretty life-changing and then you see how strong you are. It's like the parable of the man that builds his house on the sand. He worked so hard to accomplish his dreams. He had great aspirations, but his groundings just were no good. You can try to be something, try to accomplish a dream, but if your foundations are not right, along comes a storm and you're back at the beginning. The storm for me was facing the fact of my parents' divorce and seeing all the things I saw then. Also, around that time, some pretty life-changing events really affected me. They were horrible experiences to have to endure, but I can really see that God is trying to draw me... Yeah, he's using them to draw me closer to him and to really shape me into the person I'm meant to become. He has a purpose. He sees into the heart of me and he leads me on to the brighter day. How I became a Christian. The first time I made the decision to follow Christ was when I was about four or five years old. It was at my family's dining table in Queensland. I don't remember what I prayed, but it was probably something along the lines of, Jesus, I know I've wronged you, but I'm sorry. I know that you came to earth and died on a cross for my sins. Please, come into my heart. But since then, I've recommitted so many times that I've lost count. I am no angel just because I'm a Christian, and unfortunately, I make mistakes just like everybody else. What being a Christian means to me. I am a Christian, and what that basically means is that I can have a relationship through Christ's death on the cross that will lead me beyond this world and into a perfect eternity with a renewed, deep, extremely personal, perfect, never-ending, consuming, great and inexplicable love that our Heavenly Father gives to us. Furthermore, there will be magnificent, radiating perfection. The old life here on earth will be forgotten. For as C.S. Lewis put it, this life is but a mere shadow of the world beyond. Everything will be purer, clearer, better in that place. Being a Christian means I can look forward to my eternity. I have been forgiven of many times that I have wronged my Lord. Such grace is a leading example for me to follow in forgetting the past and forgiving myself and others. Because he has forgiven me already, when I ask his forgiveness after every time I fail, it's more for me than for him. It builds our relationship every time I talk to him, certainly. Being completely honest with him brings, me, brings to light my faults, so 
we can fix them together. These verses summarize, summarize the three stages of my life. Psalm 55:22. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Psalm 37:5. Commit your way unto the Lord, trust in him. And Psalm 51:15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Where are you? Karis Pryor, welcome. Let's welcome Karis as well. Hello. Um, I'm really nervous like a lot of people were, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I've grown up in a Christian family for all of my life, and my mum and dad have always set a really good example for me. I never really questioned why we went to church every Sunday or why we said grace at mealtimes. I just did it. It wasn't until I got into high school when everything seemed to go haywire for me and suddenly going to church became not cool and I began to dread Sunday mornings. I remember suddenly becoming sick on Sunday mornings or remembering a project that was due in on Monday morning. When I got into year eight, I was placed in a class full of some of the, the most popular people in our school. Almost overnight, I found my number one priority was to gain the acceptance of these girls and boys. At the same time as all this was going on, I had reached that crucial age in a girl's life where I was able to go in ESA camps. It was on these camps where I learned about a God who wanted to have a relationship with me. The camp seemed to make things I had learned in Sunday school appear so much more fun and mean so much more. On my first camp, I somehow found myself accepting the Lord into my life. This was great, except for no one had explained to me what changes were meant to take place after, and that asking Jesus to come into your life meant serious changes. Somehow, this decision I had made only worsened the severity of my situation back at school. My desire for the attention and acceptance of people at school became overwhelming, and it was all I would ever think about. I guess I wanted to feel like I belonged somewhere. I wanted to find meaning in life. And gaining the acceptance of the girls was easy. All I had to do was lend them a lip gloss. However, I found the boys much harder, and it became them who I desired attention from the most. Because... So when they gave me attention, I felt loved and accepted. I thought being with a guy would fulfill me and take away that void in my life. By year nine, I was already a pretty messed up girl, prepared to follow my friends anywhere and to do whatever they did. Although ESA camps continued to be a great influence in my life, it wasn't the biggest. I was leading a double life. At school, I was popular and rebellious, and at home, I tried to imitate the perfect little angel. This didn't last long, so before long, things started slipping and I started to bring my habits home with me, the swearing, the smoking, and maybe worst of all, my entire attitude. As much as I tried to hide it from my parents, I think they at least had some idea. This lifestyle fulfilled me. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> this lifestyle fulfilled me for such a short time and I realized I was unhappy almost all of the time. Because I was unhappy at church as well, I thought that God was not the answer for me. So I continued along this path with even more determination. One ESA camp, by the end of year nine, I was once again faced with a choice. By this time, I had an unbelievable hate for myself and my life, though I never told anyone at the time. I was feeling unworthy of everything and everyone. My self-image and opinion of myself was so low that I thought my life was not worth living anymore. I was feeling lost and I was hurting because I, I felt as though I didn't know who I was or who I was meant to be. Despite my best attempts to try and belong somewhere, I still felt out of place. Through the camp, I'd listened to one of my leaders talk about how God wanted our whole lives submitted to him and how we couldn't just sit on the fence and get the best of both worlds. On the last night of camp, I remember someone talking about something about forgiveness and I remembered all the horrible things that I was doing with my life and thought, how could Jesus forgive me? As the speaker continued on, I felt I was feeling such an incredible guilt and hurt for the things I had done. For once, I really believed these words, that Jesus had died and rose again. I asked Jesus to forgive me for all the horrible things I had done, for all the wrong things I had done, and I prayed to God, asking him to come into my life and into my heart. I did this because I needed his help. I admitted that I couldn't do it on my own anymore. After I got home from that camp, not everything changed, but I started reading my Bible. 
And year 10 was a big struggle for me, but the pieces of my life were being picked up slowly. I wasn't reading my Bible every day, but I was asking God to help me, and he did. By the end of year, the year, I felt I was on track for once. At the start of year 11, I made friends with two of the most beautiful Christian girls ever imaginable, Natasha Smith and Danica Rodham. They have supported me and encouraged me in every tough time I've had since I've known them, and I love them to pieces. I can't stress the importance of having good Christian friends. Of course, they wouldn't be much use to me if God had not been working in them and through them. And God, he is the most amazing thing in my life. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out and see the things, amazing, amazing things that he's doing in my life and is still doing. I continue to be amazed at the opportunities that God has given me. My relationship with Christ Jesus is my life, and I know I can tell him anything and everything. Just recently, I led on my fourth junior ESA camp. On that camp, God gave me the wonderful opportunity to lead two young girls into a relationship with him, and I still can't get over how awesome that is. I made the decision to get baptised because God is the sole reason for me being here today. I'm not embarrassed to tell everyone how much he means to me. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. Thanks. Questions about his faith, about uh, his love for Jesus. Joel, do you make your profession of repentance and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I do. I do. Do you promise independence upon his grace to follow Jesus Christ and serve him forever in his church? I do. On the profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, I baptise you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. your profession of repentance and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I do. Bianca, do you promise independence upon his grace to follow Christ and serve him forever in his church? On this, your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptise you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Karis, do you make your profession of repentance and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I do. Karis, do you promise independence upon his spirit, upon his grace to follow Christ and to serve him forever in his church? I do. This way. On this, your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptise you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They used to say, Alan Mason. <laughs> I might just uh, pray and then uh, we'll see what uh, we've got for tonight. Lord, I just want to, I just want to say thanks for tonight so far and uh, the worship here tonight and being able to sing your praises and come together with uh, your people who all share a common interest in you. Father, thank you for, uh, for the testimonies that we've heard tonight. And uh, it's just been really um, quite amazing, Lord, to hear. We just ask now that, uh, Lord, I ask that you would uh, just place your hand upon the message and uh, that you would, you would speak tonight through this message. Just commit the rest of the evening to you. Amen.
Well, I've, I've become a student in the last uh, few months, so I've had a, a little bit of a spare time in the mornings now. I, I don't really start work uh, until nine o'clock sort of thing, so I've got an extra spare four hours of a morning now. So in that, that time, I've got a bit of, bit of uh, free time to do a bit of imagination and, uh, and wonder about things, and that's... That's what I want us to do here tonight as we, before we get into the message. I just want you to let your imagination go wild and just imagine that when you turned up here tonight, this building wasn't here. There was, there was nothing here. Everything had just, I don't know, disappeared. In, that, in the time that I now have, I, I watch a, a few of the, the early morning cartoons that are on. Some of them are a bit, others are quite amazing. And I'm telling you, anything's possible. So just... Imagine that this, this place just disappeared into some sort of black hole that appeared and got sucked in and was, was no more. But, but left here was a little note that just said, I want you to reconstruct my church. I want you to, to build a church however you think would work. The sky's the limit. You, you can do anything. It's up to you. End of the little note, signed, God or, or whatever. You can, you can do anything. You can get in the best preachers if you want. You can, uh, I don't know, hire a, a church growth expert. I want you to think about what style of church you would have. What would the worship be like in, in your church that you could build if you could build a church? What would the music be like? Would it be, uh, what sort of sound system would you have? I'd have a good one. <laughs> You know, would it be a formal church? Would it be formal worship? Would it be informal? Would it be a social justice sort of church? Or would it be some sort of really, you know, theological reform sort of church? It's totally up to you. The sky is the limit here. You can do anything you like. It just has to be a church that reflects God's heart to the people and honour him. And the rest is up to you. You can see that uh, there's a few people with a few smiles on their faces. They've been waiting for this day to rock around. Fortunately, Jonathan's not here or he'd be pretty worried about the idea of doing it. You know, where would we start with a project like this? Is there, is there some point of reference that would help us out with that? Are there good churches out there that we can copy? You know, Bill Hybels, perhaps. Or Rick Warren, he's, he's written a few books on the, on the subject. Where would we go? Well, tonight we find a church in, a, in our reading that we're looking at, in our passage tonight. In Acts 2.42, we find a church there that is in, in good health, that is worth taking a look at if we want to uh, see about how a healthy church might, might operate. As I was reading through it, I, I noticed two things about this church. One of them is this. A healthy church, and that's what I observed here in Acts 2, 42 to 47, is a church where the Holy Spirit reigns. And the second thing I noticed, I'll get to a bit later on. Don't want to ruin the surprise just yet. And as I read through this section of, of Dr. Luke's historical account of the early church, I was struck by an irresistible picture that this church was initiated it was it was it was filled and led by the holy spirit men and women completely changed by the spirit of god now living in community if you like in fellowship that transgressed previous barriers that had existed in acts 242 to 47 we find a church that is in good health that is worth imitating where the Holy Spirit reigned and it was evidenced by well, what I reckon is four main outworkings. We're going to take a look at the passage now and see if we can uh, find some noteworthy applications that we can use here. We've already got, we're fortunate, we've already got a church up and running. Here, you know what I'm going to do? Watch this, I'm going to just go down here. This wasn't, I didn't plan this by the way, this is new. Yeah, water. <laughs> it's symbolism in the Bible 
Water represents the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Righto, let's have a look at the passage. They were, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And those who had believed were together and held all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day they continued with one mind in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having or enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a picture. What a great picture of the New Testament church, the early New Testament church. It's almost kind of utopic, isn't it? It's an, an ideal picture. It's, it's pure and unaffected by institutionalisation. This church here is um, completely inspired by the Holy Spirit which in itself has made a dramatic and visual entrance from the upper room into Peter's first inspired sermon. The 12 apostles, or the 120 believers, now have a church of 3,000 brand new believers. And I reckon the apostles must have just sat back in amazement some nights with the words of Jesus' promise of his spirit coming and the great works that they would do through it still warm in their ears. No doubt, as they debriefed of a night in the motel rooms with a probably Gloria Jean's coffee, I reckon, just sitting around talking about the amazing stories and the fulfilment of all that Jesus had said going on in front of them. They were actually participating in what Jesus had promised with his, with his Holy Spirit coming. Let's see if we too can be inspired by, by what we see here, by what I think are the four characteristics evidenced here of a spirit-filled church. The first one I noticed was a devotion to the apostles' teachings. And the second, now I don't have, I'm not that smart, I don't have um, PowerPoint, so you might want to get a pen, write this down and have your own PowerPoint in front of you. A devotion to the apostles' teaching, a devotion to each other, a devotion to Jesus Christ as expressed through worship, and the fourth one, a missionary outcome, a devotion to a lost world. The first characteristic of a healthy church is a devotion to God's word. This was a church that loved God's word. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. The word continually here, it's not in all translations, it's in my NASB translations, but the word continually here, is of importance to us as it governs the characteristics of a healthy church where the Spirit of God reigns. It denotes a steadfast, single-minded devotion to a certain course of action. It's not just isolated or enigmatic, but it is an enduring characteristic. This church is characterised by people who have a hunger for God's Word. It's not just you know, how it's preached or that it is preached of a Sunday morning. No, it's a, it's a continuous personal desire. It is the hearing of God's word that has brought new life and it is the devouring of God's word that will sustain this life. If God's spirit is present in you, you will thirst for his word privately and corporately. As Paul expressed in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, he, he sort of said this, Don't be drunk with wine that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. I want to take a bit of theological liberty here and say, you know, he probably could have said, Don't, don't be filled with sport or, um, or work or, or don't be filled with things that, that don't orientate you in the right direction. But he uses the word drunk here, and I, I kind of like it because when you are drunk, you are totally at the mercy of the substance you have put into your body. Trust me. Then, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he says, so be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you like alcohol controls you. 
He says, then you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Well, what are these hymns and, and psalms and spiritual songs that these people would sing and talk? They are the communications of God's word as passed on by the, the apostles. You know, there were, no, there were no written epistles or that. There was no kind of written biographies of, of Christ so, you know, what, what did they teach? What was it that these people were, were singing? It was the Old Testament. Now, Christians didn't see themselves as a new faith, but rather a fulfilment of the Old Testament Jewish hope. So they used the Old Testament as the, as the word of God and the Psalms, and they would sing them. And perhaps they had some of Jesus' sayings down, perhaps a sermon on the mount and the significance. The, the apostles may have taught about the significance of the resurrection and the personal instructions that, that Christ had given them. What about us here in Wodonga? We're a bit more fortunate in a way. Uh, thanks to lads back around the era of Augustine and, and Tertullian, they, they can canonised the Bible and put it into its complete form that we now enjoy. The teachings of the apostles and the word of God at our fingertips. How does your life source look? How does your Bible look, I wonder? Is it thumbed? Is it well marked? Is it loved? Is it, is it read? Do you have a devotion just to get into it and read it? A healthy church is not just a church that preaches the word of God, but one that takes it into its homes and into its workplaces and into its travellings. Where the spirit of God is present, there will be a devotion to his teachings. The second thing I noticed in this, in this passage was that a healthy church is one where there is devotion to each other. This was a caring church marked by its unified love for each other. They were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. They were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. What a picture of harmony. This sort of welding together of people, it's, it's, it's not a natural occurrence. You don't have to look too far around in society to see the, the fractitious nature of humanity at work. Even in great institutions like the Carlton Football Club, you can still find division. It's true. You might not believe it, but it's true. <laughs> Even in families, a family, something that's united by blood and genetics, can experience spitefulness and fractitious behaviour that kind of undermines the common goal. We see that these early believers, they came from multiple geographic locations. They spoke different languages. You know, even inside of Judaism itself, there exist, existed sort of sectarial anomalies that naturally divided. So this sort of fellowship that Luke speaks of here, it had not existed before the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. In fact, the Greek word used here isn't even found in the Gospels. It's one of Paul, the Apostle Paul's favourite word. And Luke has borrowed it here to stress the point. Now, I'm going to have a go at pronouncing it. Koinonia. It means fellowship. It's the word that he's chosen to, to, to say fellowship here. And its root meaning is a commonness or a commonality. And Luke uses it to draw attention to the fact that our commonness is in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. As Paul expresses in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, he says it like this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the fellowship that Luke is speaking about here, welded together by the Holy Spirit. It's not just about a synchronisation of personal ideas. As individuals or as a church, we are not lobotomised to personal thought and opinion. We may have differing ideas, but a healthy church where the Holy Spirit is at work will be unified in the things that really matter, in their primary and primarily in the common ground in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John he talks about the Apostles' Fellowship is being a result of 
of being in, in fellowship with the Father and with the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. The relationship that they have with them is what unites them together. And He calls all believers into this fellowship to do the same thing through knowing God, through, through Jesus. You know, throughout the New Testament, the apostles speak of fellowship being co-signed with the Father, with His Son, or with His Holy Spirit. True fellowship is only possible when our church, or we as individuals, are under the authority of God's Holy Spirit and the instruction of His Word. Fellowship is, is more than just a, a theoretical idea. The believer actually shares in the experience of Christ. Fellowship, kunonite, I wish I was Greek. Actually, Dane, I'm not really pat, fond of the Mediterranean nations at the moment after what happened in the soccer. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. This, stay with me, please. This sort of fellowship costs something. It's not just tea and coffee and biscuits. It doesn't just take place because we're all just happen to be in the same building. It comes through a giving. The giving of ourselves to each other, meeting the needs, sharing uh, in our possessions and goods that, that God has given us if needs be. Now, it says that they gave away their possessions, selling them as the need arose. This doesn't mean that they just crazily just sold everything they owned. Because we see that they still owned houses and stuff because they're still actually meeting together in each other's houses and eating each other's food they still had bits and pieces, but I imagine, you know, people that had maybe large quantities, as they felt led, gave it away. Perhaps people who had very little, as they felt led, gave it away. It's an expression, I guess, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I, I sort of wondered about the outworkings of this now. I had some generous people around that give. Perhaps... One of the things, and this is probably more of an instruction, really, is, is, is tithing is a representation of us giving over our possessions to the work of God in the church. It pays, kind of pays our pastor's wages, but I'll tell you what, since I've been over in uh, doing my study over there in, in the little, whatever they call that building over there, the admin centre, you want to see the work that goes on around this place and the healing and restoration of people's lives. There's a... There's a box down the back there, actually, that people put food into each week. Now, that's, that's giving of your possessions. Now, it's amazing the amount of needs that that little box meets. People coming in and just asking if they can have food assistance and the witness to the community that that is. It's just a simple little thing. It's amazing. Jesus himself said, A new commandment. I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Now all this sort of love is made possible by the presence and work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has sent into his church, into the world. A Christian fellowship is not just a mere sharing of the common interest or a working towards common goals. It is a devotion to each other in and through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and a common participation in God's grace in Jesus. You know, I wonder, are we surrendered to the Holy Spirit's desire for fellowship? Yeah, you know, it's like what Karis was talking about earlier, the fellowship that she had with her Christian friends that just kind of led her into a better relationship. And, and Joel, just talking about wanting to be surrendered. Is this the desire of our hearts? Are you actively participating in Christ's love for humanity, seeking to love others? Is the presence of God's Holy Spirit evident in how you interact with others? Third characteristic of a healthy church is one that is devoted to worship. They continually devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to prayer, this is a praying church. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done. Every day they continued to meet together in the temples, in the temple court. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. A healthy church where, the spirit, where God's spirit reigns will be drawn, just naturally drawn, to worship God. Here in the early Acts church, we see the church praying, getting together and just constantly praying. We see a church that has a balance of formal and informal worship. They went to the temple courts and, and sort of enjoyed formal worship like we do here tonight. They went into each other's homes and, and enjoyed like an informal worship, like what we would call small groups. There is joy and gladness. These people are overwhelmed. They can't contain their joy that God has come into their lives and, and released them from the meaninglessness of it. The two important things to us here in this little part, they worship with sincere hearts. The word translated sincere can mean a single-minded devotion or an absence of pretense. The once almost performance-based worship had given way to an open, honest devotion to God. The walls had come down and the emptiness of, of at the time, there was things like mystery religions around, trying to answer the questions to the meaninglessness of life. And, and there was philosophies floating around. None of them really gave any solid credence to life. And then there was the rigours and the legalities of Judaism. And these things, they found their answers in the grace of God. Christian worship, true worship, focuses on God and his love for us. They were in awe of the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the apostles and in their own lives. Now, how do we come to worship? Do we come here in awe of the work that God has done in our lives? I just think it's amazing when a person actually comes to faith. I think that is a miracle because there's so much working against it. We come here expecting, excited about what God's doing amongst us. Do we come here to love and to honour God for what he has done? Is there joy? Is there gladness? Is it sincere? Is it open? Is it just integral? Our worship should be a joyful celebration of the mighty acts of God. Sometimes these things can fade. You know, if you never participate continually in them. By this I mean if you just sort of sit back and allow the river of time to continually sort of rush over your faith. There's wonderful sort of bright shining stars of faith that become dull and the sharp cutting edges of God's word in your life that just excite you just become smoothed over by the continuous time like water rushing over you, smoothing Darling, be in God's word continually. Be in fellowship continually. Know the joy of knowing God and its expression in worship. Now, does God's grace for you still just confound you? It, it confounds me. I'm amazed by it. And sometimes when I think about it, I just want to throw my arms in the air. Uh, you might find it a bit strange that I want to do that, being suppressed Australian male that I am. But sometimes I just want to, I do. I just want to say thank you and sing loud. Other times, I'm just, I'm very humbled by it. And perhaps I'm quiet and I'm still. But there's a joy. You know, worship should never be dull. It should always be joyous. We shouldn't worry about how it happens either. You know, there's only one real rule to worship, I reckon, and that's that it honours God. And you, you should be sincere in it. I don't know. If you want to stand there and hold your hands up in the air, if you want to kneel down humbly before God, sincere worship. A second thing that, that could just slip by us if we weren't so observant, is that in this early church, they enjoyed the favour of all the people. 
This is almost a little precursor to the last characteristic that I want to talk about in a healthy church, and it's, it's crucial. It speaks of the net witness of the activities of a church that, that's healthy, that's led by the Spirit, is, is a natural result of a devotion to God's Word, a devotion to each other, a devotion to worship, was that they, they enjoyed the favour of all the people. What does this mean? See, the operations of this church were continually in the public eye. And so integral, so undeniably good was, what, was how they operated, that people were amazed. The transition of people's lives that took place that was evident for the community to see just gained the respect of the community around them and they enjoyed the favour of the people. And when you enjoy the favour of the people, you gain the ability to speak to them. It's like a key into their lives. You gain their trust. You know, what's the aroma of our church? What sort of, are we giving off? An aroma that, that just, that people go, yeah, look at what's going on down there. Look at the people involved in it. This is what leads me to the fourth characteristic of a healthy church. Healthy church is devoted to a lost world. The actions of this church spoke for themselves. The people could see what was going on, the changed lives from the impact of God's presence, the genuine love and concern they had for each other. Of significant importance was the treatment of this new faith, if you like, of the marginalised. Women, slaves, orphans had value. You know, the pagan religions and that, various religions around the place, didn't have much value on these things. If you, if you're, say your mother died in childbirth under, the, under pagan religions and that, the child would be left to die on the street. Women weren't given much, much value. Slaves were treated poorly. Yet inside this Christian church, we see them setting up institutions, if you like, to take care of these, these factors that nobody else really wanted to. The result of this was a witness to the community and conversions took place. Day by day, the Lord added to their number. Luke doesn't draw attention to these conversions as being the sole work of the apostles. He emphasises that it is the work of the Lord. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is not an exclusion clause either. You know, we don't just sit back and say if the Lord wants them, he'll get them. All that does is expose a heart that's gone cold. It's not in a healthy place, it's in a lazy place. I would almost venture to suggest that perhaps they're not in fellowship. They're not devoted to God's word. They're not sensing the urgency of evangelism. You know, restlessly the spirit drives the church to witness and continually Churches and people rise to new life out of that witness. A healthy church under the influence of the Holy Spirit is an evangelical missionary church. It's not just focused on itself. You know, lots of churches like to rattle off the mantra that they are a Bible-believing church. But can we say we're a Bible-living church? This is a great question. This is a question I want you to take home. Are we a Bible-living church? This only takes place as we allow God's Holy Spirit to inspire us individually and corporately. Now, at the start of the night, I asked you to, or at the start of my message, I asked you to indulge yourself in a little world of fantasy in your own mind to build a church, a healthy church hopefully, one that reflects God's character. I wonder, can you remember what you thought of, if you bothered to think, you know, how you would go about building that church? No doubt these things were in it, that you'd want a devotion to God's word. 
You'd want in your church a devotion to each other, true fellowship. You'd want in your church a devotion to worship. You'd have the best PA system going around. Now, if you remember, I said I was struck by two things in this passage. The first being a healthy church is where the Holy Spirit reigns. And we've sort of seen the evidence of that tonight in, in, in the four characteristics that I reckon exist there. I wonder when you were putting your church together tonight, I wonder did you include what could possibly be the most important element? I use that very carefully. The second thing I noticed in this church in Acts is the active participation of the individual. I wonder when you were thinking about your church that you were building earlier on tonight, did you give yourself a role? Did you say to yourself, in my church, I'm going to give. In my church, I'm going to participate. Were you involved? You know, the spread of the gospel message in the early church was not primarily done by the apostles. Now, how could it be? There's 12 of them. It's a big area. Their great contribution lies in the maintenance and instruction of the church. But by and large, the witness and growth of the early church was achieved by the dynamic lives of people who had come to faith and surrendered themselves to God, to the influence of his Holy Spirit. The operations and witnesses of those lives so impacted the community that daily the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. What about us here tonight? You know, do we want to just leave it up to our pastor or our pastors to, uh, to save our friends? And you know, we bring them along here and they can impact our friends and save them. You know, perhaps their primary role is the maintenance and instruction of this church. That's what they give. Perhaps our primary role is to be out there in the world, witnessing to it, using these characteristics, a devotion to God's word, a devotion to the fellowship that we have and the love for each other, a devotion to worshipping God, and we witness to the world. The characteristics of a healthy church where the Holy Spirit reigns have what I think are four, four characteristics. A devotion to God's word, to the apostles' teaching. A devotion to each other. It's a welding together by the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit. A devotion to worship inspired by God's love and grace to us. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And a devotion to the lost world fueled by God's heart for his lost creation by the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. I wonder, do we desire to be a healthy church? You know, team, I think we do. I see lots of evidence of it weekly, day by day. But my challenge tonight is hopefully to take those four characteristics, I know you've written them down, and to practice them. I look out at the audience tonight and there's a lot of young people here tonight. You know, you take it seriously. You take your faith seriously. Joel, man, I was just moved by what you said. And people like that get hold of this place. We, we will impact Aubrey Wodonga. But you know what? It takes you to get involved, not just to sit back but to, to have fellowship, to participate in God's love and grace for this world. And don't be a passenger. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for uh, 
for your love and your grace that you express uh, to me. Lord, I want to thank you for, for what I see in, in this church here. I see the evidence of your Holy Spirit at work all the time amongst the people that, that gather together here to worship you. And Lord, it's just, it's just great to watch and to witness. Lord, I pray that we would be motivated to, to just keep on going. Lord, as, as Joel said earlier, just to surrender the rest of our lives to you. Amen.